0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we are at A Runner's Mind, speaking with Dawson Alexander about running form and proper running shoe selection and how to keep running with plantar fasciitis. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running, even if you've been injured. So I'm here today at A Runner's Mind, which is my favorite running shoe store on the peninsula by a mile, um, and talking with Dawson Alexander about plantar fasciitis and all the different things that runners need to understand about plantar fasciitis in terms of the condition itself, running, and running shoes, and other things that can be helpful when you've either had plantar fasciitis and don't want to get it again, or you think you have it currently and are making sure that you're going to get better and continue running, um, Dawson. Thanks for uh, doing this and uh, letting us come here and uh, talk to you about uh, all the different things uh, runners can do. And just so in brief, you know, my take on plantar fasciitis is that you know, plantar fasciitis is the most common condition for sure that people seek treatment for. In fact, it's about forty percent of all visits to podiatrists in the United States. Certainly affects most runners at some point to some degree. And we hear all kinds of things about it. Like, there are lots of people that will say it's just self-limiting. And that may be true for some people. But if you're really actively training, I don't think that that's normally true. Like, it, you know, not that you can't continue to run. I believe most runners can continue to run when they have plantar fasciitis. But, you know, it's it's definitely an irritating condition. And what I see more than anything else is that runners become hesitant when they get it, right? They get it and they, like, they don't really know if they can run. They don't really know if they should continue to train. And then a lot of us will kind of half train yeah. which is not really gratifying right, right. Um, and it doesn't really help us achieve our goals so then maybe we do like a race and suboptimal performance and right. so we're still like we have this thing in the back of our mind that's mental telling us you've got this problem right mm-hmm. so I would imagine that you have lots of people coming here that say they have they they think they have plantar fasciitis so they have heel pain arch pain or something and I mean, is that a common condition that you see from runners?
1: Incredibly so. Is that right? A lot of the athletes that we get into the shop are oftentimes complaining of heel pain, arch pain. Um, And usually they'll either self-diagnose it or they'll have a doctor's diagnosis on what's going on. And they're seeking advice in terms of treatment. And yeah, you are right whether or not they can continue training or if it's more uh, conducive to take a step back from training to allow the area to heal. But at our shop, we really truly believe in proper treatments uh, for the area so you can continue to run, Um, but perhaps at a very moderated amount until you're able to get back into running completely. So active rehab is kind of a tool that we look at through various means. So looking at the footwear, identifying mechanics, whether they're running on the proper surfaces, or they need to switch it up a little bit, um, stretching, foam rolling. So there's a few different areas that we'll look at to understand what is impacting the area and what the best troubleshooting uh, solution is gonna be and then kind of take it from there. So um, yeah, I mean, we hear it literally every day. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: So maybe what we can do, though, is we can talk a little bit about you know, what patients seem to describe like as the problem, because my perspective is probably different than yours. You know, people come to me when I think they've had it for a really long time, or they're really frustrated, or they've tried some of these things on their own, and they're just not getting better. Um, but imagine yours is different. So what do you hear from patients when they suspect they have plantar fasciitis? Like, like, what, in your mind, clues somebody in that they have that as a problem? Yeah.
1: The big one for us is when the individual wakes up in the morning and that first step that they take is really painful. Right, like The foot is unable to flex or bend or that first step out of bed tends to be very painful as scar tissue starts to break up. Mm-hmm. You feel that tension there. You're trying to warm up the foot because um, you've been sleeping at night and so the area is trying to heal. So taking that first step can be really painful. So that kind of closes in quite a bit that that may be a problem. But if through their running, and they don't necessarily feel it during the run, but post run, they'll feel that pain, that pressure through the arch or in the heel. It could be intense pain. Um, sometimes it's experienced through the run. Uh, we hear it a lot after the run, or they're walking around all day long, standing on their feet all day long, and they're feeling that severe pain. Sometimes it's a dull achy pain. Oftentimes it tends to be a really sharp pain, either in the heel or in the arch. Right. Um, we'll flag it down as something like plantar fasciitis.
0: Right. Um, Yeah, that's an important point because in the book that I wrote on heel pain, I talk about all the different conditions that people can confuse with plantar fasciitis and there are lots of different ones. So, somebody that has a stress fracture of the heel bone, obviously that'd be a really concerning thing because that could break and ruin your ability to run forever, but It's very different, right? So when somebody gets a stress fracture of the heel bone, that hurts when you're running because you're pounding on it. So every time you land, it hurts more and more and more. Plantar fasciitis hurts in the morning for a specific reason. You have two things going on. You have fluid accumulating around the bottom of the heel that's trying to fix all that damage while you're sleeping. That's part of the inflammatory process. And then you also have little collagen fibers starting to sort of heal the plantar fascia on the bottom of your foot. But when you get up and step out of bed, you basically squish the nerve on the bottom of the foot with all that fluid that's accumulated there, which causes really sharp pain. And you suddenly load the plantar fascia and apply tension to it, which also, as you said, kind of breaks up that scar tissue that's trying to heal the injury. And it really hurts on the initial step. But most people, they start walking and it gets better, which is why it doesn't really hurt that much when you run. When you're running, it may hurt, like if you drive to a specific place to run, it might hurt when you get out of the car and take the first couple of steps, the same as after you've been asleep. But then when you start running, everything's kind of supple and it doesn't really hurt that much. You don't notice that much when you're running, but like you said at the end of the day, you know, it's been irritated because you really stressed it during the run and then it does hurt later that day or certainly more the next day after that run and you know patients want to do something about that because it's annoying but it's confusing because it's not hurting while you're doing the activity that may be sort of delaying the healing or contributing to the lack of healing that's been happening when you when you hear that from patients and you say okay what do you ask them i mean obviously you you have running shoes here but (laughs) that's not always the only problem right like if you take somebody that's running on the wrong surfaces they can pick any shoe they want and it's not gonna help, I would imagine, right? So, for example, if somebody has plantar fasciitis on their right foot, and they always face traffic, and they always run in the street, they're running on a slope, and their right foot is forcibly pronating and increasing the stress on the plantar fascia. And if that same person ran on the opposite side of the street with their back to traffic, then it might not happen that way. It might not stress the plantar fascia. Does that make sense
1: yeah no it absolutely makes sense so if you are running on a banked surface uh, that can cause increased pressure or increased tension on that one singular side which can disrupt or disrupt your gait pattern um, which can throw things off you end up absorbing a little bit more impact that way there's more tension so when the athlete comes into the store whether they're a walker or a runner or just fitness enthusiast we have to understand sort of the surfaces that they're training on if there are uneven surfaces, if it is a banked surface, and we want to look at that area, if there's areas of asymmetry, so muscular imbalances, is another key area to look into as well. Right. Um, so it's looking at their history as an athlete and the terrain that they're running on to get a better idea yeah. or understanding of where they're coming
0: from. Yeah. From there, so. so what are the surfaces, or what are the locations? Like I always ask people this. So if they're in, you know down here, or if they're in San Francisco, or wherever, I always ask them, "Well, where do you run?" And they'll say, "Oh, I run you know around here." And I say, "Well, where do you mean? Do you?" Okay, you run a Golden Gate Park. Where do you run? Do you run on the street facing traffic or do you run with your back to traffic or do you run on the dirt paths? Like, where do you run? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
2: What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration.
0: You will have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines, and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you, and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome.
2: Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today.
0: Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. Do you run on the street facing traffic, or do you run with your back to traffic, or do you run on the dirt paths like? Where do you run? And it matters, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so what are the places around here that you, that you seem to talk to people and they say, well, I always run here. And then you know, okay, well, do you run on the pavement yeah. part or do you run on the little gravel part on the side? Like, you know, where is it that people run around here that may or may not really contribute to that as a problem?
1: Yeah, I mean, around in this area, um, there are a lot of banked streets or areas mm-hmm. that don't have sidewalks, to be honest right. with you. The, the paths are really unpaved or uneven and so we try to isolate those areas because as runners and athletes of this area we know those spots we know exactly what they look like if they're cantered, if they're banked if it's at a slight incline and how far that incline goes or if you're at for instance sawyer camp which is a local Mm -hmm. running trail right along the crystal springs reservoir we know certain areas of that is a little bit banked or it's increased or how steep the hills are and if they're running on just one side of that pavement day in and day out, that's going to cause some overuse areas. So, I mean, yeah, we're trying to come to a basic understanding yeah. of where they're coming
0: from. Yeah, because Sawyer Camp, for example, if people start at the southern end of it, they can go about seven miles round trip, and it's basically flat, right? I mean, there are some severe banks around a couple of those corners, but they're very short-lived, and it is basically symmetric if you go out and back. But if you run 10 miles, then you go uphill all the way to the dam, which is a significant climb right by oh, yeah. <laughs> you know by flat running standards that's a big hill right even by san francisco standards that's a pretty long climb you know and so it's you know it's tough and most people will you know do something like 10 miles maybe and go up that thing and then back down And that's pretty hard on you to just go up a really steep thing like that, turn around and run back down it, right? So that can be a lot of stress. So it is important to understand those surfaces and figure out, you know, running uphill and downhill is more force. Running on banked surfaces, it's more force. And you have to really evaluate that, right? Yeah. So that's obviously one thing you can do, is you can look at the ground underneath you and try to figure out, you know, is the surface that you're running on contributing to it. But then there's what's between you and the ground, which would be shoes and inserts and that kind of thing. Uh, In terms of somebody that has, for example, an unstable flat foot, I think that you know, like the Brooks Beast or those really, really, really stable shoes can really help control some of that pronation, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. When we have a hypermobile foot type, meaning a foot that has a lot of excessive motion one way or the other, um, more often we see that archetype collapse and the foot significantly starts to rotate to the inside, what we call overpronation. That can be difficult to work with because oftentimes that foot is a little too, it's hypermobile, so it's hard to control through the gait process where there's a lot more forces applied, uh, depending on how far you're running, what kind of surfaces that you're running on. So something more stable is designed to reduce the amount of overall motion there is so you can capture and guide the foot a little bit better, a little more efficiently is the goal. So it's all about absorbing impact um, a little more evenly and efficiently, so equal weight distribution as much as we can. So yeah, structured shoes like the Beast from Brooks is wonderful. Um, you can look at other brands like Mizuno or Asics that'll make something within that same byline, or guidelines rather, that'll help structure uh, and stabilize the foot so you can find mm-hmm. a decrease in pressure um, Yeah, and cushioning helps as well.
0: So I mean I hear this from patients, they'll say, well, you know, I went to see some doctor and they said I just had to get the Brooks Beast, yeah. but it doesn't really fit them appropriately. So there are other shoes from other manufacturers, because there's no question, right? Like, I couldn't wear Solomons if my life depended on it. They're all, they just don't fit me, right? So, yeah. you know, I can wear lots of different shoes, but I can't even wear all shoes within one brand, you know, because they do change the way that they fit some. So um, what, how do you decide when somebody has, you know, an unstable, this hypermobile foot, like what, what do you really look at to determine which shoe of those sort of pronation control shoes, which, which are best for them? How do you decide that? You're listening to the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
2: Runner's heel pain, self-diagnosis and self-treatment written by the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain. When runners with heel pain get help from Dr. Segler through a virtual doctor visit, they ask the same questions. How do I know I really have plantar fasciitis? What do I have to do to get my heel pain to go away? How can I stay fit and keep running while I heal my plantar fasciitis? Dr. Segler wrote the book on runner's heel pain specifically so any runner like you could get the same answers he gives to patients he sees in person. He wanted to create a way you could get $500 worth of expert advice for less than the cost of a copay right now without waiting for some doctor's office to open. Runner's Heel Pain – Self-Diagnosis and Self-Treatment This book will teach you exactly how the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain helps runners run and heal. Get the Kindle version on Amazon today for only $14.95. All right,
0: welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. How do you decide when somebody has, you know, an unstable, this hypermobile foot? Like, what, you, what do you really look at to determine which shoe of those sort of pronation control shoes, which, which are best for them? How do you decide that?
1: Well, I mean, in the shop, we're all professionally trained to conduct what we call gait analysis, where we do basic measurements of the foot type to see the shape, the overall arch type and length. We watch them walk and watch them run. And based on those alignments and metrics, we understand how it fits with every brand, because every brand, while they make a stability shoe. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. They all vary in terms of overall fit and feel. Um, and so you need to understand the overall foot shape, structure, and mechanics to identify what type of shoe is going to align closer to that. Right. So it's like, yeah, you might have one brand like Brooks that comes highly recommended or Asics uh, comes highly recommended as well as other brands too. But if it doesn't fit the shape of your foot, then obviously we can't put you in that. So we're going to relook at the mechanics and the shape of your foot to identify what shape is going to work best for that foot structure and still offer the you know appropriate amount of support for the foot right. so we don't want to sacrifice that right.
0: necessarily. Well that that's an important point. So one of the things I'll admit is that I hate to shop. I don't like shopping at all, not for anything. However, I never buy running shoes by buying them from Zappos or Amazon or something. Now, I will tell you that I buy virtually all of my other shoes that way, but I walk in them, I see patients in them, it doesn't matter, it's not that important. So, you know, if they fit me a little bit off and I'm lecturing at some medical conference, it doesn't really matter, but I wouldn't go run 10 miles in them. So. It is important to have not just somebody that has a large selection of shoes, but also somebody that's really an expert. And I have actually been in at least 10 states, when I go to medical conferences, I actually visit running shoe stores, and in more than 10 states, I have heard people in running shoe stores tell prospective you know, uh, shoe buyers, well, you pronate, so you need pronation control shoes. Well, that's not really true. So everybody pronates it's when and how much that actually matters and so having somebody that actually really can evaluate you and somebody that really is an expert in biomechanics like dawson or the people at a runner's mind it really does make a difference so you know you need to i think if you're going to get running shoes and you have any issues and you're concerned about that it's not just motion control it's also the fit because everybody's foot is different and so if you have a hypermobile foot That's just one part of the equation. There's the width of your foot, there's the structure of your foot, there's how wide your heel is. And somebody like Dawson knows, certainly better than me, which shoe with which manufacturer and which category of shoe is gonna be best for you. And there's no way you can get that when you order it online. Now, if you have decided that one shoe works, then okay, great, I guess, but you don't really get the input from people who are experts on shoes and can tell you like, well, what changed this season? And it does change every season. I mean, I remember very, very clearly in 2006 when ASICS changed the last on the gel Nimbus. That was a real bummer for me because they were perfect for me up until that time. And then they changed them, but they changed them all the time, right? Like oh, yeah. that, it's an ongoing process of so them evaluating. They're always trying to make them better. They're always better for somebody and they're always worse for somebody else. <laughs> So you have to, like, get that input so that you can make sure that you're getting the best shoes. It's not just a straightforward thing of saying, oh, well, I like blue, you know. Right. So that's the main thing. And so all running shoe stores are not created equal is the main point, um, you know, that in virtually every city in America, there is, you know, at least big cities, there is a great running shoe store. Personally, I believe the running mine is the best one in the Bay Area. Um, They've got a number of locations, but they're everywhere. So if you're in Washington, D.C., there are really good running shoe stores. I know because I've been to one. I was going to a medical conference, and I visited a shoe store, and they were really good. And the people knew what they were talking about. They didn't just say, oh, well, you pronate, so you need pronation control shoes. Because that's not, again, not the whole story. Another thing that we could perhaps talk about is just a little bit about the gait analysis. Like, how do you do gait analysis on somebody who is thinking about getting new shoes or they've had some kind of issue that they need worked out, whether they feel like they're kind of trending into overtraining without explanation. What does that really amount to when you say you do gait analysis with them?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we do a whole video gait analysis at the shop. Um, Everyone's professionally trained to conduct those. What that means for our athlete coming in, whether they're a walker, a runner, or they just like to do general cross-training in the gym or CrossFit, or whatever the activity is, uh, we ask them those important questions. What is it that you're seeking to do with your shoes? What kind of training are you doing, the surfaces that you're training on? Um, so you want a history of that athlete. And if there's any problems, injuries, pains, or discomforts they're currently experiencing, that's really important to understand as well. That way we can present some troubleshooting options or solutions and making sure the shoe is appropriate to help treat uh, whatever symptoms that they may be experiencing. Um, once we break into that, once we get a basis of understanding there, We take general measurements of their foot that means we're looking at their width whether it's the forefoot the heel or even the midfoot how high their instep is their arch length and how much it may collapse or if it doesn't collapse because it's relatively rigid we take these into account because it tells us how much you're able to bear weight or absorb shock that way Uh, from there we'll watch the individual walk and then finally we'll take that individual that walker runner athlete outside uh to watch them run And using cameras, we do a whole video process where we film them running up the block and down. And sometimes we'll do a profile perspective as well so we can see their overall alignment and posture. Mm -hmm. And we slow that motion back. So frame by frame, you can understand how the individual carries their weight from one foot to the next. And that gives us a better understanding of how they're able to carry their weight or not so much. Because it's not just looking at the foot level from behind and in front, but you have to look at their hips, their shoulders, how they're holding their head all these things play a part in how they're able to effectively absorb shock and withstand um, that weight and pressure that running applies because it's a single-legged stance it's a lot of weights two and a half to three times your body weight mm-hmm. resting on one foot so you have to make sure you can hold your weight appropriately and we kind of take it from there and so right. understanding that overall mechanics as well as understanding the shape of their foot gives us better understanding what type of shoe is going to fit that individual we'll recommend right. if you kind of different choices and we take it from there. Right. It's so kind of how we break it down. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really helpful. And, and you know, one of the points on this is that it matters what your form is, right? So it's not just your foot type. And there are lots of, um, you know, videos online and stuff that just talk about your foot type. They describe it in great detail and they say, well, if you do that, then you need this kind of shoe. But then it's, that's not really true. So it matters what you're going to do with it, right? So. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't put like a four wheel drive tire on a Ferrari, you know, that wouldn't make any sense, right? Cause yeah. you're not going to drive it off road. <laughs> so it matters what you're doing. And I run in four different kinds of shoes, depending upon the run that I'm doing and the surface that I'm running on. And my trail shoes, they're great for trails, but I would never in a million years run on pavement. And you know, I don't think I could run more than a couple of miles without getting stress fractures in the ones that I use for trails. That's just because of my foot type and the way that I run. One of the things you alluded to is the amount of force that's applied when you're running, and we know that the the way that you run changes. And so I lecture to physicians about barefoot running biomechanics and running biomechanics in general, and it makes a huge difference on the way that you run. And so I think that when people run more as a forefoot and midfoot striker, they can have sort of a broader range of shoes and kind of get away with it. But if you're a heel striker, you're kind of limited More, right? So if you have a flexible, unstable, hypermobile foot that you referred to, and then you need real motion control in that, right? And if you have a rigid, like, you know, rectus type foot, then if you wear the real stability shoes, you're probably going to get stress fractures because it's too much control, right? In terms of when people have plantar fasciitis, if somebody has just kind of a Um, A fairly stable, like rectus foot type, not a hypermobile foot, but a fairly stable foot with a decent arch that stays that way when they run. What are some of the shoes that you would generally recommend to them?
1: Well, I mean, we might need to start off with a neutral platform because you're not necessarily having to overcorrect that foot type because it can cause a negative consequence with it. If you start to overcorrect the foot, you can see some problems. If you Mm -hmm. undercorrect the foot, you can see the problems there too. But sometimes what we want to do is help reduce one of uh, what I call the plantar loading or the weight loading through running. And sometimes that helps alleviate the mm-hmm. symptoms that we end up experiencing in the cases like plantar fasciitis. Right. Uh, so yeah, typically we'll look at a neutral base and take it from there, whether it's, you know, an ASIC shoe, Mizuno shoe, or uh, something softer than that, then mm-hmm. yeah, there's gonna be various options there, but it's just looking for ways where we can just reduce that uh, loading that is experienced through the force or so through the gate cycle, that seems to help with a, a right. more neutral foot type than a hypermobile foot where you right. do want to capture a lot more of that motion to make the foot more efficient yeah. um, in bearing weight. But that the case with a much more rigid arch type.
0: Yeah. So with that rigid arch type, I know this is again because you know every runner's different. The way they run is different, their posture is different, their foot is some wide, some narrow and all that. When you say a neutral platform, do you mean would you trend more like toward with ASICS for example would you do more like the gel Nimbus or more like the Keano or what would you yeah. Sort of start with. I mean,
1: I'd most likely start off with the Nimbus or the Cumulus. Where uh, something it's like really one, cushy. Yeah, something mm-hmm. that's just a little softer underneath right. the foot. So, again, you're not experiencing so much of that force or weight that you're taking on as you're running. Because, again, that foot type is a little bit more neutral. It's standing right. a little bit centered over the foot type. And so you don't want to overcorrect it using a shoe that's designed for over pronation, where it's going to be this much more rigid, torsionally rigid platform that's right. designed for correction. Uh, but for that you know, stiffer arch, that, again, can cause negative consequences because now you're trying to overcorrect it. But we'd rather start with a more neutral shoe like the Nimbus or the Cumulus, the Ghost from Brooks would be another one to look at, or the uh, Wave Rider from the Zuno would be another great option to check mm-hmm. out. Um, and then there are more unique brands too out there at this point, like a brand mm-hmm. like Hoka, mm-hmm. which introduces a lot of cushioning underneath the foot and a rocker shape to it, which I don't know if we've talked about this in the past before or not, but sometimes that rocker shape can help alleviate a lot of that loading through the gait cycle. Oh, it definitely can. It easily push and progress that foot forward with less stress on the foot itself, right? right? So we'll look at a couple different options there to see which fits the foot, which feels natural to the foot and seems to alleviate some of that impact and pressure. Right,
0: it's true, because there is a very broad range now. It's not just, you know, every shoe doesn't have 12 millimeter drop, right? So you have the whole range, you have zero drop all the way to, interestingly, something like the Hoka that in most cases, even though it's called, like many people refer to as a maximalist shoe, kind of opposite, it is very soft, it's very cushy, yet because of a relatively wide stance, it's pretty stable. Um, But then also, it does have that rocker that unloads the forefoot, Yet it doesn't really have a very high heel, yeah. you know it looks right. like it's thick, <laughs> but it's a it's more like a minimal heel height yep. than it is a standard heel height, correct, right. even though it's so it's a very interesting shoe. Um, I mean, I run in hokas uh, for one of the runs that I do, um, and they are very interesting, right? Yeah. So it's a completely it's a different concept, but it can help the right person for sure, yep. you yeah know.
1: and it's understanding when to introduce that concept as right. well depending right. on the problem you know, and the right. that we're working with,
0: so. So what about uh, inserts? So yeah. you know, I actually had a physician approach me at a medical conference one time. He said, you should treat all runners, right? And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, you must make a lot of orthotics. I said, actually, I make a whole lot less orthotics than I used to when I had a standard practice. because." I think for most runners, they don't really need custom orthotics. That's my opinion. Right now, there's probably some podiatrist, maybe dozens, watching this who would like to kill me. <laughs> but that's my opinion. I stand by it. You know, I don't think they're necessary for most runners. I think in most cases, if you have the appropriate shoes, you're running on the right running surface and you're really paying attention to running biomechanics, you can achieve whatever you want as a runner. Some people do need orthotic support. Some people do need custom orthotic support. But again, my opinion is that most runners do not. So what's your opinion on custom orthotics as well as over-the-counter orthotics? You're listening to the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
2: Runner's heel pain, self-diagnosis and self-treatment written by the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain. When runners with heel pain get help from Dr. Segler through a virtual doctor visit, they ask the same questions. How do I know I really have plantar fasciitis? What do I have to do to get my heel pain to go away? How can I stay fit and keep running while I heal my plantar fasciitis? Dr. Segler wrote the book on runner's heel pain specifically so any runner like you could get the same answers he gives to patients he sees in person. He wanted to create a way you could get $500 worth of expert advice for less than the cost of a copay right now without waiting for some doctor's office to open. Runner's Heel Pain. Self diagnosis and self treatment. This book will teach you exactly how the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain helps runners run and heal. Get the Kindle version on Amazon today for only $14.95.
0: All right, welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. So what's your opinion on custom orthotics as well as over-the-counter orthotics?
1: Yeah, I mean, the stance that a lot of us at the shop take is we try to get as much support and cushion that we can from just the shoe itself. If we fit you appropriately, uh, then we can find most of it just within the shoe. Now, there are some cases in which we do need to add that insole, but typically over-the-counter tends to be a really easy solution for most people um, but largely we try to get the bulk of the stability or the cushioning from just the shoes platform because they're well they're so well constructed there's a lot of research and Mm -hmm. development and science that goes into the innovation of footwear to provide all of that for the athlete Um, so yeah largely we try to use the the shoes but having said that i mean we do carry that over-the-counter orthotic for the individual who needs just a little bit more mm-hmm. support or they need to adjust where the arch is sitting within that shoe depending right. on the problem going
0: on yeah and I, i mean i don't know but i would imagine there's some people that come in and they kind of have their heart set on a certain shoe for some reason they read something in a magazine or whatever and then they realize it's not maybe perfect for them, but with an orthotic maybe supplement, then it makes it good enough for them. Is that accurate? Does that happen?
1: Sometimes that does happen. I mean, if we can steer people towards a shoe that fits them better, that's right. gonna be our overall goal. Right. Um, but we, we do have people come into the shop looking specifically for certain shoes or insoles because you know uh, their friend told them that that is what they're using and it works right. well for them. Or you know their doctor may have suggested It's um, and so they want to look into it, but if it doesn't fit their foot, it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And obviously that may not necessarily be the direction to go in with that. So, yeah, we see that a lot.
0: Well, when people have been told that they need over-the-counter inserts, you guys do have some here, right? Of course. And what do you what do you recommend for patients with plantar fasciitis with over-the-counter inserts? When they really do want them?
1: Yeah, when they really do want them. Again, we're going to look at their arch type and their right. foot. We'll watch them walk and we'll still watch them run to understand the mechanics, and mm-hmm. we'll have a couple ones that we'll we'll look at. So we have Superfeet, of course, because that's the number one recommended insert right. by doctors and podiatrists, and so on and so forth. Uh, We'll have another secondary insole like Curex, which is a German manufacturer uh, that I tend to run in quite a Mm -hmm. bit, actually. And In either circumstance, they're designed with very distinct purposes. So Superfeet's all about controlling the foot mechanism. So there's some kind of discrepancy with the alignment that we need to control and support. And Mm -hmm. Curex is on kind of a different spectrum where it's like we understand that we need a little bit of stability, but we're designed to... Improve the overall foot efficiency. So, not necessarily overcorrecting it, but just improving some of that weight loading, that weight bearing through the course of these longer distances because the foot does fatigue. Right. Honestly, it does eventually. So, the more you can reduce some of that pressure and impact, um, you buffer some of the fatigue and it feels a little bit better near the end of the yeah, race.
0: Exactly. So, that brings me to another question. So, you say, you know, the foot fatigues, right? So, we know that fatigue happens with runners. Yeah. My opinion is that most runners get injured. When they get fatigued Mm -hmm. so when our form is good we're more efficient right everything's working properly forces are distributed more evenly but when we're hammered and these peripheral muscle groups are trying to like keep us moving forward that's when things get stressed to the point of injury so what do you think causes plantar fasciitis in runners
1: well i mean yeah, a lot of it is, is fatigue. It, it's, it's multiple things right, right, that contribute to something like plantar fasciitis. From the surfaces that you're running on, improper footwear, to poor mechanics, ultimately. Right. Or, you know, in some cases I might get a really neutral runner, but it's overuse. It's day in and day out. Maybe they're not changing the surfaces where they need to be. They're running on the same path and mm-hmm. they just need to change it up once a week to feel a little bit better. Or their form. Sometimes we have um, athletes who are midfoot, forefoot strikers who come right. with plantar fasciitis but they have so much vertical oscillation, they're so bouncy that they're absorbing a lot of that that pressure and they they need to smooth out the form a little bit to feel a little bit better Mm -hmm. that way. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that contribute to something like plantar fasciitis right. and I think that's what makes it tricky sometimes to diagnose that in the shop because there are so many areas that we have to look at.
0: So when you see somebody here in the store and it's somebody that has plantar fasciitis and they're a runner and they have that annoying issue where they're having those painful steps in the morning, they're pretty sure they don't have a stress fracture or a partial rupture of their plantar fascia or something more serious. Uh, and they're going to try to do something about it at home, like massage or uh, compression or those kind of things. Like, What is it that you really think is most helpful for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is the eccentric uh, calf raises and the, um, the calf stretches, as well as the massage tool, the self-therapy. So it's using things like a massage roller, whether it's a foam roller, or I love the Roll Recovery R3 roller, mm-hmm. which you can roll your foot across and get a really thorough foot massage, but you can also pop it up on a yoga block and you can get into the calf and the Achilles to alleviate some of that loading and stress that you experience as well while you're out there running and walking. Um, and I can use things like massage stick too to get the calves and the Achilles, but the R3 I love.
0: Do you like that better than the stick, really? I
1: do, because yeah. you can get just a little bit more thorough and into the nooks and crannies and the areas okay. like the Achilles better, and you can really get a thorough massage of the foot. Uh, deep into the arch the plantar fascia there you can get into the heel too to help break up some of that tissue Mm -hmm. and alleviate that soreness that aching pain
0: great and what about compression
1: i love compression i use compression quite a bit actually both when i'm running but more importantly through recovery so Mm -hmm. post runs post long runs i use it it seems to help kind of cool off or settle some of that inflammation Um, and expedite that muscle recovery quite a bit. Um, For running, I love it because I feel like it reduces some of the muscle vibration, Uh, so that tends to feel a lot better. Um, You know, I tend to be a runner that has a lot of uh, vertical oscillation, so I'm a very bouncy runner, and so I just feel like it reduces some of that loading, some of the stress from the body. Uh, through weight-bearing.
0: Right, yeah, and I mean, I'm a huge fan of compression. I, um, I use it all the time for recovery. I've been using it since 2008, I think. I wear compression socks uh, after my long runs to facilitate recovery, like you're talking about. I wear it for 24 hours after every marathon and 48 hours. I sleep in them after every Ironman, and you know, there's a lot of conflicting data on whether or not it's really helpful when you're running. You know, this is not really evidence. This is an antidote, but, yeah. but my fastest Ironman ever Uh, I was wearing compression socks and I I actually had trouble getting them on because I was wet and the tent was full so I was standing in the parking lot trying to get them on and I had a transition time that was nearly 10 minutes partially because of the socks, which was killing me at the time, but it was my fastest race ever. So, um, you know, did it help? I don't know, probably. I, I have to think it made up for some of that <laughs> terrible transition time at least. But, you know, compression can be very helpful, right? So you have to do something to ice it, to remove the inflammation, prevent it from accumulating. So so any of those patients that have plantar fasciitis, I imagine they can come to any runner's Mind store, right? In the, in the Bay Area, they can come and make sure that they're getting an expert evaluation. You guys actually look at their foot type, look at their running biomechanics, really assess their gait, make sure they're really using the appropriate shoe above all else, right, because that really is where it starts. I mean, it has the, that is the primary thing that's between you and the ground when you're running, is the shoe. And if you don't have the right shoe, it certainly makes it harder to achieve your running goals, I believe. Absolutely. Right?
1: I mean, we like to think that as athletes, as runners, literally your only equipment, your only tool is your shoe. So right. So if you get that wrong, then you start to feel the consequences after a while.
0: Right. So, yeah. Okay. One piece of advice, if you had one piece of advice for people who are runners with plantar fasciitis, what would that be?
1: Um, you know, it, it, it's active rehab. It's, it's doing the massage work, it's using those foam rollers, it's doing the calf raises, it's doing the calf stretches, uh, alleviate some of the pressure and the tightness that you experience in the calf, the Achilles, as well as rolling out the foot. So, right. really. Pay attention to that, and you don't necessarily have to stop running. I don't think that is um, necessarily the best route to go around it, depending on how bad the symptoms are. I think you can run through it, but at a moderated amount and doing that self therapy.
0: There you go. Dawson and I agree. So, runners don't have to stop running when you have heel pain, particularly if it's plantar fasciitis. You just have to make sure that you're really doing all these things that Dawson's talked about. You've got to make sure you have the right shoe. You've got to make sure that you're really assessing where you run, you're running biomechanics, and the things that you can do to actually moderate the force that's applied to the plantar fascia so that you can keep running, achieve your goals, and run as much as possible.